But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. That was a bit weak. Let me try that again. Uh, Good morning to each of you. Okay. Amen. It's good to be back in the pulpit. I'll be preaching from our gospel lesson, Matthew chapter 13. If you have a Bible, please turn there. If you don't, there are pew Bibles in front of you. It's page 818, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, by way here of prolegomena, is, is an interesting shift. It's, it's a shift in the gospel. It's about halfway through-ish of Matthew's gospel. And we have a shift both in Jesus' teaching and the way that he's going about his ministry. This is the, um, we might say, the parable chapter. Chapter 13 contains seven parables of Jesus himself. This is the third discourse of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. That's his third big section of teaching. And in Matthew chapter 13, we see that Jesus' mode of teaching is the parable. But you see, there's also a shift in Jesus' um, location. Early on in Jesus' life, um, excuse me, early on in his ministry, that is, his three-year-ish ministry, Jesus began preaching, uh, preaching where? Where did he begin preaching? We think back in Luke chapter 4, he went to his hometown of Nazareth, and where was he at? He was in a what? Yeah, a synagogue, temple first when he was really young, then he was in a synagogue. And Jesus would go around teaching in synagogues to the Judeans, not only the religious elite, that is, but also the people who were devout Jews who were there to hear the word of God interpreted. Jesus was there. But we see here in Matthew 13 there is a shift because the religious elite are no longer ready and willing to listen to what he has to say, this this kind of crazy rabbi from Nazareth. And, And what good can come out of that podunk town? What good can it? So Jesus is no longer preaching in synagogues. He's going out to the people. He's going out, we'll see in Matthew 13, specifically he ends up being on a boat near the Sea of Galilee, but he's preaching to the people out in the land and they're coming to him to receive what he has to say to them. Jesus himself, we will see, and you should know, Jesus is God, and even more than that, Jesus is the parable of the Father to us. He's the parable of the Father to us. Well, what is a parable? Jesus utilized this form of teaching quite often, seven times, as recorded in Matthew 13 in a short time. Well, parables are stories. They're stories that compare maybe two different two different subjects, two different ideas, and parables are used um, to compare, to contrast two sets of ideas, but they use earthy things, things that we're familiar with, to then usher us into an understanding of something that's much more difficult to grasp. So in our parable, and by the way, I really wish the ESV would would have entitled this not the parable of the sower, but the parable of the soils. The parable of the soils, we'll see why in just a moment. But Jesus utilizes the sowing of seeds, something that everyone was familiar with, something earthy. Everyone knew about this. 
And he utilized the sowing of seed, soil, the growth of the seed, or the being choked out, or the being taken away by birds. Everyone was familiar with these earthy things. He utilized parables to teach heavenly things from earthly concepts that people knew. So Jesus was utilizing the parable. Now, unfortunately for us, and I thought about having Deacon Zach read this anyway, did, did you notice that we skipped over a large section in the gospel reading? Did you notice that? Some of you were like, yeah, yeah. Others of you were like, oh, I can't remember. I was thinking about lunch. And I, I was kind of there too, thinking about lunch, thinking about the gospel. But th- we actually, we skipped over a pretty large section there. Because the question um, invariably arises, why did Jesus teach in parables? Why didn't he just shoot straight? It would have been a lot easier if he just, you know, quote, unquote, shot straight. Why is he teaching in parables? We know the disciples asked that question. So if you've got your Bibles open, I do want you to follow along for a moment because you didn't hear this read. It's good to have eyes on it. It's page 818 in your pew Bible if you've got it or your personal Bible. Chapter 13, verse 10. So at this point, by the way, Jesus has already told the parable to the crowds that included his disciples. But then verse 10, the disciples came and they said to Jesus, Why do you speak to them, that is the crowds, in parables? And Jesus answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now, let me stop there. One of my favorite philosophers, um, a, a, I don't even know, how, a Danish man. How, what do you say? Like a, there's a Dutchman. I don't know how you say a Danish. A Danishman? We'll say that. Soren Kierkegaard, that Christian theologian-ish, but mostly Christian philosopher. He told a parable to get across, um, well, some spiritual points. And let me tell you this parable. For, uh, forgive me if you've heard this before. So um, Soren Kierkegaard told this parable of, of the Danish clown. Have you, some of you all familiar with this? Okay, so Kierkegaard says this. And this is, of course, a, it, it's a parable. Um, it's, it's not, this isn't necessarily true, but he's getting at, at kind of spiritual truths here. He said there was a carnival occurring outside of this Danish town, a fairly small village, there's a carnival and a circus, as it were, and it was under a, under a big tent. And underneath that tent, they had all the circus animals and clowns, and, and everyone was there, and they were enjoying it. Well, uh, unfortunately, one of the elephants kicked over a torch that was used to light the area. It hit the hay. The hay um, burst into flames, and a raging fire gets going in the middle of this circus tent. And there was only kind of one way in and out. The tent was staked down. You couldn't just crawl out the sides. You had to go out of these, these kind of the small flap entryway. And there were thousands of people there. This fire is erupting and there's smoke filling the place. And this clown manages to escape. And he sprints about, you know, half mile to a mile into the village, into the center, the, uh, you know, the crossroad of the village. And he's screaming, help, help, there is a fire just over this way at the circus, I need your help. And a few people start to listen. Well, they start to hear. I shouldn't say listen. And they're, they're thinking to themselves, bravo. Now this, this is, um, this is a true clown. And this is a wonderful, like, he's in, 
character and, and, and he's weeping. This is amazing. And the clown is on his knees and he's begging people to listen to him, to go and to help. And then the crowd grows larger and larger and they're all looking at this clown and they're laughing. Some are applauding him. Wonderful job. Hooray, hooray. And he is weeping at the point of tears and no one listened to what he had to say. Now, beloved, I, I see a connection between that story, that parable, and what was going on when Jesus was speaking to the crowds because you have people that are there to, to hear what he has to say, to listen, but they never will actually believe what he is saying. They're there, but they will not believe what he has to say. Jesus goes on when he's talking to his disciples to quote from Isaiah. And he's saying here, uh, you will indeed hear, this is from Isaiah chapter 6, but never understand, you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Beloved, within those crowds that Jesus was preaching to, speaking parables to, many of them could not believe him. They didn't have eyes to see, ears to hear what he was trying to get at them. Many had come out to see this, um, this Nazarene, this kind of crazy rabbi, and, and to watch, to see the miracles, to kind of join, you know, maybe the traveling club for a little while, but it was all a spectacle to them. It was all a spectacle, but Jesus was calling those who had ears to hear and eyes to see to follow him. Back to that Danish clown example. Would that one person had followed the clown in, just outside of town, into the tent to help. They would have seen the reality, the truth, the, um, the urgency that was there in that moment. The parable of the sower that I like to call the parable of the four soils begins this way, chapter 13, verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Jesus is speaking to a large crowd so big that he had to get out into a boat in the Sea of Galilee, it seems. He's turning around and he's, and he's speaking. He's preaching to not only his disciples, but to all who were there. And he tells the parable. I'm not going to read it all. You heard Deacon Zach read it, um, just, uh, read it very well this morning. But there are four soils. Let me say something about the, um, this notion of sowing uh, seed. There were a few ways to sow seed in, in antiquity. One was kind of how you might have seen your grandfather or great-grandfather sowing seed if they were a farmer. You kind of get everything in a line and you sow in the line. The other way is just to broadcast Johnny, you know, broadcast the seed, Johnny Appleseed style, just broadcasting it everywhere. And that's what Jesus was getting at here, that a sower came and began to sow seed. It's a bit deceptive for us, though, here, even within the ESV. The Greek, there's an article, so it's not a sower, it's the sower. 
Like a lot of the young kids talk about things being meta. Have you heard this phrase? Things, this is meta. So it's like, you know, it's a moment in time, but there's something else very meta, very kind of, uh, you know, going on here at the universal level back down to us. There's something meta going on here. When Jesus is telling this parable to all those that are around, and he says, literally, the sower came to sow seed. There he is, <laughs> the sower, preaching the good news, telling this parable to all that are there. He's casting the seed from the boat in real time as he's telling a parable about a sower. There he is. And you see, those that are listening to him, they, they're in all um, kind of four stations of, of soil. You've got those that are there that are going to have the birds, that is the enemy, the devil, come and pluck up the seed because it's on the path and they're, they're never going to believe. You're going to have those there that are the rocky soil. I mean, these are the people that are listening to Jesus' parable at that moment in time that have the rocky, uh, the rocky soil, and it, and it springs up for a moment in time, but then when trial and persecution hit, boom, it's gone, it's dead. Then you've got that third soil that Jesus preaches about. That third soil that I want to spend some time on this morning. Because for the first time in my life, it hit me as I was preparing for this sermon you know, the first two soils, the seed is, is gone. The seed is over with. The birds snatch it, it's gone. Or it actually it germinates, it grows, and then it withers and dies completely when it's on the rocky soil. But this third soil is different. It's a soil that is um, fertile enough to receive the seed, the Word of God, to allow it to grow but the thorns and the vines, the wisteria, as we call it here in the south, begins to choke the growth. But here's the thing, beloved. In that third soil, the growth is choked, but the seed remains. And how do we know that? Because Jesus himself and in his interpretation of it says that it didn't, it didn't bear fruit. It was still around, but it didn't bear fruit. So I want to stop here this morning and kind of live here for a moment as we move towards uh, the conclusion. Jesus says himself in his interpretation of this parable on that third soil, he says that it is the concerns of the world and really the love of money. These two things are what choke the, the, uh, the plant itself from ever producing fruit. So my question to you is I'm a priest, I'm trying to sow seed, and by the way, I am sowing it kind of, sh I'm trying to sow it straight up. I need, to, I need to also receive this and let it grow. But I'm sowing the seed and asking you, what are the cares and concerns of this world that are literally choking any fruit from being formed or born within your life? What are they? What are these things? I know for me, one of the, the things that often uh, chokes out uh, fruit in my life is, is fear of the future. It's fear of the future. What am I going to be doing in five years? Are, are my kids going to leave the faith? How's my marriage going to be in the next few years? Am I living a holy enough life? All these things. All these fears choke out me, and maybe you can commiserate here, from bearing fruit in this life. Can anyone resonate with that? Daniel, Daniel Boggan can, amen. There's you and me. We can resonate with this, I'm sure. 
What's my status? What's my fame? How much money do I have? What, what are the, um, all, all the accoutrements of this life that this world is trying to get us to buy into? Those things, if we allow, if we allow them to do it, will choke out this, the Word of God bearing fruit in our lives. But the scary thing is we'll still be around. We won't die completely. Our pews will still be warm on Sunday. I'll still be here preaching from the pulpit. But here's the thing. Jesus wants us to follow him, to follow him and to bear fruit. Did you notice there that in this exchange, Jesus first gives the parable to the crowd, then he gives the explanation to who? Who does he give it to? Or to whom, I should say? To the disciples. Blessed are you because you've been given eyes to see and ears to hear. Those are my words to you this morning. If you are a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ who's been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and is trying to till by God's grace the soil of your heart in life, you have been given ears to hear and eyes to see. Amen? But we still have to toil. We still have to work. We still have to strive to strive to enter into the reading of God's word, studying his scripture, being here for liturgy, receiving the Holy Communion, feeding the poor, helping widows, the elderly, doing these things that actually bear fruit because here's the beautiful thing, and you've got to trust me on this because scripture says this over and over. If you walk in obedience, your faith will be increased, I promise. If you walk in obedience, your faith will be increased increased so there Jesus was not only preaching to the crowd but giving his disciples this um, this interpretation that wasn't given fully to the crowds and here's why because these disciples were called to follow Jesus and to take their turn at being a sower of the word of God to others at being a sower of the word of God to others. Let me close with two points. The first um, is this. As I mentioned, that third soil always uh, it just it gives me it gives me pause, because beloved, we are called to bear fruit in our lives for the kingdom, and we can be choked out so easily in this world. So I want to ask you this week with your spouse, with your friends, with your fellowship group, with people at this parish, to take some time to ask God in what ways is the world choking out not only your faith but your ability to bear fruit in this life. Because here's the deal. If, as our Lord says, if something is causing you to sin and to fall away, like your hand, just cut it off, get rid of it. Follow our Lord as a disciple of his. Finally, um, let me remind you from Isaiah 55 what we are called to do. Even if you're in a rut spiritually, maybe especially if you're in a rut spiritually. Come everyone. Todd read this. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Think about it. (laughs) Why do we spend our money for that which is not bread? And your labor 
for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Beloved, this brings us to the table of Holy Communion where we do feast on the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ to be strengthened spiritually, to follow Jesus as a disciple, to till the soil of our lives and our heart so that we might bear fruit. Because finally, in our bearing of fruit, that's how people are saved. They see our fruit. They want to know more, and the Spirit works within them. We come and we receive this holy food this morning. What a blessing it is as Christians to receive and to be nourished and to be strengthened. And finally, Jesus says, look, there's going to be some of you that bear a hundred fold, some 60 and some 30. My final um, admonition to you is don't look around at others and say, there is, you know, St. Saint, uh, Saint Noah over there, St. David over there, St. Rebecca over there, and they're bearing a hundred and I'm over here at 60 or 30 or just barely getting by. Because here's the thing. In the kingdom of God, if all of us are striving as disciples of his, utilizing our giftings, all of these work in tandem for the salvation of the world. Amen and amen.